0: If you have your your Bibles now, let's turn in them to Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8, we're reading this evening verses 1 through 10. Isaiah chapter 8 and verses 1 through 10. And let's go to the first of the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, once again we're thankful for Your blessing us. We're thankful that You are the God who cares for us and speaks to us. And how You build us up in the faith, even through the Word. And uh, we ask now that You, by Your Spirit, would grant to us that blessing of growing in faith in Christ, Your Son. Uh, Father, turn our hearts to You that we would not trust in nations or kings or princes, but we would trust in the living God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 1. These are God's words. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great role. And write in it with a man's pen concerning Maharshalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jabericaiah. Jib- Jib- and I went unto the prophetess and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, call his name Maharshalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father, my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria. The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, For as much as this people refuseth the waters of Shaloa, that go softly and rejoice in resin and Ramalia's son, Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels, and go over all his banks. And he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. Associate yourselves, O ye people and ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear, all ye of far countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand. For God is with us. Those are God's words. The Lord has, if you remember, the Lord has promised... To Judah, deliverance from the northern kingdom, the nations, uh, uh, the nation of Israel, and from Syria. And it was the Lord's design that Syria would be the instrument of Jehovah to judge not only Israel but Syria as well. The Lord, you see, is ruling sovereignly over all peoples and nations and things, not only dealing with those who are God's covenant people, but also foreign nations He rules over as well for the sake of His people. And this gives you the pattern when we consider the mediatorial reign or the priestly reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here, Assyria would be Jehovah's instrument against Syria, but also to Israel. And yet, Assyria would also be the instrument the Lord would use to judge Judah. For Judah, as we've been learning through uh, and, and shown very much forth by its king, King Ahaz, uh, Judah trusted not in the Lord. King Ahaz trusted not in the Lord, but in the king of Assyria, who would be his downfall. In the midst of this, and Ahaz's, King Ahaz's rejection and rebellion... Against the Lord, Jehovah has promised a sign. Chapter 7, the the virgin birth of Emmanuel, which is fulfilled, we know, in Jesus Christ in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1. The Lord has promised deliverance from the immediate threat of Israel and Syria. But because of the unbelief, of many in Judah, including the king, the judgment of God would also come upon them through Assyria. And so, to encourage the remnant, we began to hear last Lord's Day, the remaining faithful ones in Judah, the ones who believed in the Lord and still trusted in the Lord, the Lord has promised a future deliverer of eternal proportions, Emmanuel, God with us. And all that, a summary of chapter 7, is now reinforced in the passage that is before us this evening. And the first thing that we're going to look at, the first point this evening, the kingdom of the Lord. The kingdom of the Lord. Verse 1, it says, Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take take thee a great roll, and write in it with a man's pen concerning Mahal Shalal Hashbaz, and I took unto me faithful witnesses to record: Uriah the priest, and Zechariah the son of Jiberakiah. And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, "Call his name Maher Shalal Hashbaz." Isaiah is told to take a great roll, verse one. Uh, that is for our thinking. He's talking like about a large sign, a great paper a large sign a large board like a billboard kind of a sign and that would have his this name on it al hashbaz and then two witnesses verse 2 for the record that they could testify that what he had written on this billboard this roll this great roll they would test they would be able to testify that it was written and put before the people before the actual events occurred That have that meaning in his name. And so the divine, the design for this large sign, the great role to be displayed was to be in a prominent place so that all or many could see it. And so Isaiah also, then it says verse 3, he has a wife. He has a wife, and she's here called the prophetess. And we have to investigate that, of course. We have to think about that. It may be that she had the gift of prophecy. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say she doesn't or does. And uh, there's many prophetesses in Scripture, or a few, we might say, like Miriam or Deborah or Huldah or, Hulda or Noadiah and Anna in the New Testament. And, uh, a note on women serving as prophetesses or women prophets In the Scriptures, generally, these were not exercised publicly. But it may be that is the case here, that she is an actual prophet, but more likely likely in this instance that the term is used simply to describe a prophet's, Isaiah's wife. And Isaiah and his wife have a son. Did they not? We've heard about his name before in chapter 7, verse 3. Shar Jashub. But this is another son. This is another son. Verse 3, Isaiah is commanded by the Lord to call his name Mahashalal Hashbaz. This name was given to the boy by the Lord. There is a reason and meaning behind his name. And this is not a normal name, is it? It's not a normal name, even as you read through the Old Testament. Even the New Testament. You don't see names quite like this even when they're in Hebrew and you have a tough time pronouncing them just as we all do. Uh, But here's the slightly stranger name. An unusual name. It doesn't answer... uh, This does not answer what or how we should name our children. Though, as in all things, in the naming of our children, we should seek the glory of God. And the whole of family, the Lord hints at here, the whole of family life is to be in submission to the Lord. He's hinting at that here to Isaiah. It doesn't matter, parents, what you think is best for your children. What we must do is what the Lord commands us with our children. It's always best to do what the Lord says is best for our children concerning them. That does not mean that you add things to God's Word and say, well, that's the best for our children concerning them. We need to be faithful to the Lord, not to ourselves. It's not determined upon us. We need to be, as a family, as families, faithful to Him. As a church family, faithful to Him. No different. There is much freedom the Lord gives while teaching us wisdom from His Word, and we are to follow in godliness even in our parenting. Proverbs 3 Verse 6, says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. How many times as parents do we kind of, even as husband and wife come together, mother and father come together, and we are confused about how to deal with our children? Don't lean on your own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy path. And we set... The example as parents of what the Lord uh, what the Lord requires, we are to teach our children in the manner He requires. We are to discipline our children in the manner He requires. The standard, friends, is the Lord and His Word. And many friends uh, will, as parents, will go to well scientific studies, say this, and the feelings one's feelings say this about how to how to uh, feed our child and how to how uh, to discipline our children, and, and maybe even experientially. It doesn't seem to work what the Lord says and commands. It doesn't seem to work. It doesn't seem to do any better. And yet the Lord is clear concerning corporal punishment for one thing. Corporal punishment or discipline that it is to be done. And in the wisdom of God, He teaches us that this should be accompanied with the Word and prayer. With your children. Now parents, do you think you know better than Jehovah on how to love and care for your children? He created them. And He created you. Do you think you know better than Him? And then how can we trust the Lord in telling us the way to glory if we can't trust Him to tell us what to do even with our children on earth? And so will you listen to the world and the experts the experts on children or to the greatest expert who created the children, the very Lord Jehovah Himself? If the Lord came to you families... Who had children in the womb right now and commanded you, call your child's name Mahar Shalal Hashbaz. Would you do it? Or would you say, I would never do that? My parents and friends, I'd never hear the end of it. And think of how he or she, if that was her name, she would be picked on as a child. Uh, with that name, how could they even be married when they grow older? No one would want to marry them. They would have no friends. We'd be laughing stocks. Or do you trust the Lord and obey Him? There's so much just like that, friends, and following Jesus Christ that we're called to just the same thing as that. What to name our children, how to interact with our children, how to parent, how to live our lives as Christians, etc., that we go... That just does not seem good. And we say, nope. The Lord knows best in everything, always. Especially how to parent our children and what we are to do with them. And you look in the churches today, and the churches, you see lots of rebellion of kids. And the rebellion of kids in the culture against their own parents, which is even more... Even more than perhaps is expected. But why? Because of unbelief in the Lord. Not following the Lord. The kingdom of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord involves families. And the Lord has words for you about your family that we must trust and follow. You will never harm your children by doing what the Lord says. The Bible is the Word of God. If you can't rely upon the Bible, God's Word, regarding your children and how to be parents and and serve your children and lead them and teach them and disciple them and discipline them, then you can't rely on the Bible for anything. But we should rely upon His Word for everything. Because it is the truth. And here Isaiah did exactly what he was commanded. As a prophet, this was for a special purpose but it's lifelong effects, even for eternity. He called his name, the child's name, after the Lord's commandment, Hoshalal Hashbaz. And so in the kingdom of the Lord, do what the Lord says in His Word, By, the, of course, by the grace of the Holy Spirit. Do what the Lord says in His Word, even when it has to do with your family, and especially as it has to do with your family. Then the second point this evening, the confidence that we have in the Lord. The confidence we have in the Lord. Verse 3 it says, And I went unto the prophetess, and she conceived and bare a son. Then said the Lord to me, Call his name Hoshalal Hashbaz. For before the child shall have knowledge to cry, My father, my mother, the riches of Damascus and the spoil of Samaria shall be taken away before the king of Assyria mahalshalah hashbaz means as some of your Bibles might say in the margin or at the bottom uh, something like in making speed to the spoil he hasteneth the prey or make speed to the spoil hasten to, to the prey and so basically it's referring to it just as it says there in verse at the last part of verse four, Basically, it's referring to the imminence in which Assyria would take Syria and Israel and be that instrument of judgment upon them. Before the child, your child Isaiah, before the child would be old enough, verse 4, to utter those words, those first words, my father, my, my mother, this would be fulfilled. And this confirms chapter 7. The Syria and Israel were like two smoking firebrands ready to go out. And it's similar to the prophecy we heard in Isaiah chapter 7 about Emmanuel. In the last chapter, verse 15, where it says, "...butter and honey shall he eat," that is, Emmanuel, "...that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of both her kings." But this doesn't mean that those verses in chapter 7 are fulfilled here in chapter 8. They are not. They're fulfilled in Matthew's Gospel. There's only one virgin birth. What Isaiah sees in the vision of Christ, Emmanuel, that in a short time these two kings would be destroyed. And so likewise in Isaiah's actual son, chapter 8, conceived in the natural, ordinary way, and yet before he can say, Dada, Mama, these two kings of Israel and Syria would be destroyed. There is a connection, therefore, between these two prophecies in chapter 8, our passage and chapter 7 of Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. That this prophecy, which would be fulfilled in chapter 8, before their very eyes with Isaiah's very son, and he has on the name, the name on the, the great roll, the billboard, that's set before all the people, Mahal Hashbaz, promising Assyria would come and destroy Syria and Israel. And two witnesses knowing that this was written, his name was written down before it actually occurred. The connection between these two prophecies, this prophecy, which would be fulfilled before their very eyes, Mahasala HaShbaz, his son, before he can say mama or dada, this was to be an encouragement to the faithful, the remnant, to have confidence that God would fulfill the promise concerning Emmanuel and the future. So you see, as you see, this prophecy fulfilled in chapter 8 before Isaiah's son before he speaks, these two kings would be judged and destroyed. And that similar timing promised between Emmanuel's virgin birth and his growing up where he could learn good and evil and his human nature. Also the timing of this judgment as well in a short amount of time. And so that when chapter 8, our passage is fulfilled, those two kings are destroyed. Friends, to the believing people of God in Isaiah's day, the remnant, they would see that fulfillment promised on the billboard. They would see that fulfillment and have great hope in the virgin birth of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whose name is Emmanuel. That's the hope here. That's the connection. And so the message to these faithful, the ones who believed in the Lord in Isaiah's day, which were a few... Trust in the Lord and His promises. It's not a proof to the hard-hearted and unwilling to believe like King Ahaz, but it's an encouragement to hope in the coming one, Emmanuel, to the faithful. And so, friends, it's the same for us. We should be encouraged to hope all the more. Every time we find that the Lord is fulfilling and being faithful to His Word and His promises in our own lives and in the church, And even throughout the world. And if you pay attention, friends, if you pay attention, this is every day. Every day. In so many ways, the Lord is being faithful and giving us reasons upon reasons upon reasons to hope all the more in His promises and in the prophecies of the past that are of and for the future to come to fulfillment then. Seeing Him to be faithful throughout history and in our own experience should stir our hearts up to a greater confidence and assurance that what He has promised to do in the past, uh, of what is supposed to come about in the future, that it will certainly come to pass. He will do it. And so seeing other things, His promises, His being faithful to those promises, and some prophecies over time becoming fulfilled, that should give us all the more confidence to hope in those promises and prophecies that await us. Even uh, perhaps like the great ingathering of the Jews and the nations turning to Christ and Christ's second coming. Those things should uh, we should have more and more confidence over time as Christians because we see how the Lord is faithful every day. His mercy is new every morning. Yes, it is. We're still breathing even though we don't deserve it. And so as we consider and look back to the past and even the present, He has never once failed, never once broken one of His promises. He is always and has always been and always will be faithful. He shall bring it to pass exactly according as He has promised. And so the confidence we have in the Lord Thirdly, a third point this evening: the strength needed for deliverance. The strength needed for deliverance. Look at verse five. The Lord spake also unto me again, saying, "For as much as his people refuseth the waters of Shiloah that go softly, and rejoice in resin and Ramaliah's son, now therefore behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them the waters of the river, strong and many." Even the king of Assyria and all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks, and he shall pass through Judah. He shall overflow and go over, he shall reach even to the neck. And the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land, O Emmanuel. There are two rivers spoken of here in those four verses. The first is in verse 6. A gently flowing spring from the waters of Shiloah. Or if we look in the New Testament, Siloam. You might remember that name. They go softly. It's a soft flowing stream. And the second river in, in the, uh, verse 7 and 8. A great flooding, mighty river. And it's describing the Euphrates River. Shaloah means peace, peaceful waters, gentle stream, right? The waters that were used to flow into Jerusalem... As their main water source the water the waters that care for the people of God these gentle waters communicate the Lord's providential care for his people but also they communicate everlasting life found in Christ Jesus because it was the water source for Jerusalem and it's at the spring of this gentle stream that you know in John 9 of the pool of Siloam that gave Life to the body when stirred. Or the the blind man washed his eyes at the command of Christ and he could see. Psalm 46 speaks of this gentle river. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. This gentle stream, friends, shows forth the covenant of God and the promises of life eternal in Emmanuel the Savior. They... Judah despised the waters of Shiloh or Siloam. They did not trust in the God who sent his word and his promises to them, he, who promises life eternal in the coming Savior, in the time of Isaiah, in the coming Savior, and the Savior who's already come in our day. They trusted in what? They trusted in Assyria. They didn't trust in the gentle, flowing stream. They trusted in the mighty river. The river that flows through Assyria, they trusted in the king of Assyria, and the nation of Assyria represented there by the river, the mightier river, the one of the strongest rivers in all the world, the Euphrates River, which it's describing. It doesn't give us that name. When they saw the destruction of Rezin, king of Syria, and Pekah, Ramalia's son, king of Israel, by the hand of Assyria, Judah was overjoyed and concluded Assyria would keep looking after them. Assyria would continue to care for them and be their strength. They were their strength against Syria and Israel. They will continue to be that in the future. And so they trusted in Assyria all the more and continued to trust in them. And Ahaz wrote to the king, Tiglath-Pileser, and said to him, I am a servant of your son they looked to the strength of Assyria and they felt that they were on the right side and in cooperation with Assyria, they'd be safe and delivered from every other enemy. And when their ally, as they thought of Assyria as their ally, when their ally, Assyria, with all its strength and all its might, when they destroyed Israel and Syria, Judah is thinking, we were right all along. The Lord said what He said. He promised He would deliver us through the king of Assyria, but we were right all along. We chose not to trust in the Lord. We chose to trust in Assyria. We were right. And we we chose the right country. We made the right move. We trusted in the right king. They rejoiced in the downfall of Syria and Israel at the hand of Assyria. They trusted in Assyria. They trusted. They put their trust in Assyria. And here's compared with that great river Euphrates that flows through that nation. And they're not trusting in the gentle stream of Shaloha or Siloam, which comes out and comes about by divine provision. But trusting in Assyria with the illustration of the Euphrates River. Verse 7, clearly connecting Assyria with it. Look at verse 7. Now therefore, behold, the Lord bringeth up upon them waters of the river, strong and many, even the king of Assyria, on all his glory. And he shall come up over all his channels and go over all his banks it's a mighty and strong river. Even overflowing its banks and so flooding, right? And it says what in the middle, even trusting in it, and even the king of Assyria. But verse 8 it says he shall pass through Judah. The flood of the Assyrians will pass through Judah too. This is who Judah is trusting in, but they're going to they were going to flood through. Judah, and what does a flood do when it flows through something? It destroys it. And this is exactly what was going to happen. He shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck. You see that? He shall reach even to the neck there in the middle of verse 8. And the Assyrians won't stop with Syria and Israel, but they will come upon Judah too. The strength of Judah, trusted in, becomes a strength against them unto their destruction. And yet the flood, the destruction upon Judah is up to the neck. What does that tell you? It's not total. It's not over the head. There's a remnant, friends, as we've been hearing about the whole time, over and over, and here in different illustrations or different images or pictures to us that we could understand it a little bit more and grasp onto it a little bit more. It's not over the head, it's up to the neck. And so some would be delivered, but not by Assyria. Not by their strength. Assyria is coming in to destroy Judah. Verse 8 again, And he shall pass through Judah, and he shall overflow and go over. He shall reach even to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings shall fill the breadth of thy land. All the land. O oh, Emmanuel, the picture there also of a bird swooping down, covering the whole of the land of Judah. You remember we heard in chapter 7, verse 17, it says there, The Lord shall bring upon thee and upon thy people and upon thy father's house days that have not come from the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, even the king of Assyria. And we heard last Lord's Day, you wanted the king of Assyria, Judah, King Ahaz, you wanted the king of Assyria, you got it. You thought he was strong enough to deliver you? Well, the Lord is using him to judge you as well. But why does it say at the end of such a statement, in verses 7 and 8, O Emmanuel? You see, one part of this, you see this land was to be the promised one's it was His all along. This is Christ's land. And he was, here. he was born. He would live. He would preach. He would work miracles. He's the King of Zion. The only King. The only one who has a peculiar interest and special concern for this land. But it seems here Isaiah is speaking and here crying out to Emmanuel. Oh, Emmanuel! God with us, Emmanuel! None can deliver. None can preserve. There's no strength outside of God with us the head of the church of God. Isaiah, knowing Assyria will come, because the Lord promised it already, and here promises it again. He's looking, Isaiah the prophet, one of the the remaining faithful in the land of Judah. And he's looking to the promises. He's looking to Emmanuel, calling all the faithful and remnant as well with him, to look to, not Assyria, but to Emmanuel. Emmanuel, preserve the true church of God. While Assyria would judge, the plea here is that it would not be unto a complete and utter annihilation or destruction of God's people, that it would be only up to the neck and not over the head. And so the strength needed for deliverance, Isaiah the prophet teaches us, it is found in no one and nothing else but Emmanuel. If you go after the king of Assyria, you'll be judged. If you go after the king of Syria or Israel, you'll be judged. If you go after anyone or anything else, you'll be judged. And unto your destruction. But if you go to Emmanuel, you'll be delivered. And you'll be saved. And finally, standing strong in the Lord. Standing strong in the Lord. Verse 9. Associate yourselves, O ye people, And ye shall be broken in pieces. And give ear all ye afar countries. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, and ye shall be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, and it shall come to naught. Speak the word, and it shall not stand. For God is with us. So the prophet here, Isaiah, is now challenging the nations of the world. Because he has the promises of God. He can do this. And uh, you have more of the Word and the promises of God today. So you can do this as well. He's challenging the nations of the world. He calls out to all the peoples everywhere. Associate yourselves, O you people. Take counsel together. Come together. All the nations. Not just Assyria. But all the nations of all the peoples all together come together. Everything you do against God's people, whatever it might be, and you come and you plan and you do all your things, everything that you do together will come to nothing against the Lord and Emmanuel. All the nations, we have Emmanuel. We have God with us. And you can all join together against Judah, against the church, but it will come to nothing because we have Emmanuel, God with us. The counsel of the wicked to utterly exterminate and extinguish the church of God as it is today still will not stand. God will use the wicked nations for the purifying and purging of His church and His judgments upon the hypocrites that are found in the church but the counsel to destroy Judah, his church, shall not utterly stand. Verse 10 again. It says, take counsel together and it shall come to naught. Speak the word and it shall not stand. For God is with us. God is with His people. Emmanuel's coming in the flesh. In the future from this point in Isaiah. Uh, Emmanuel's coming in the flesh would be in the future from this point, and his being with his people and manifesting himself in the flesh amongst the earth, God and man in two distinct natures, one person forever, all to redeem his people from their sins in which he would be exalted and reign as king. That fulfillment of the promised Emmanuel rested on the fact that in the spirit, God was already with his people. His true people in their hearts. And today following Christ's ascension, where He's raised up and He's ascended on high, and He's seated at the right hand of God, He is still with His people as He was in the day of Isaiah and King Ahaz. He's still with His people by His Spirit. And He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Emmanuel's coming into the world was an expression of that permanent of the permanent truth that God is with His people always by His Holy Spirit and caring for them in His providence. And the Redeemer's actual coming was in fulfillment of the promise and truth of God to His church in all generations. And so what? Jesus came. Because God is always with His people by the Spirit of Christ and in His providence, caring for them. And so also Christ came in fulfillment of the promise of God to be the Redeemer of His people. And Isaiah is, in the past for us, Isaiah is taking courage here. And he calls upon all of Judah, the true believers, to take courage, and us today, to take courage in the Lord, in Emmanuel. God is with us for Isaiah and the believers at that time. Whatever happened with Assyria, right? Assyria had not come up and destroyed Judah yet. Whatever happened with Assyria... No weapon that comes against even the church of God at all times. In Isaiah's day and today, no weapon that comes against the church of God will prosper. Isaiah is in Judah with all of what's about to happen. And he's saying, not just Assyria, but let all the nations gather together. Let them come against God's people. And their counsel shall not stand. The church of God will be preserved. Seems like madness, but it's true. Because he promises it here. The church of God was preserved, wasn't it? Even unto today. You are evidence that the church of God has always been preserved. Whether it's by Israel's attacks, or Syria's attacks, or Assyria's attacks, or Babylon's attacks, or the Greeks' attacks, or the Romans' attacks, and the Muslims' attacks... We go on and on. The atheist attacks still strong today. Still preserved today. And so you are the evidence of God's strength in preserving His church and His promises. And that means what? That He will always preserve His church, His body, His bride. And we are called like Isaiah then to stand strong. In the faith, believing He will preserve His people, His bride, no matter what comes. And Emmanuel, God with us, did come manifested in the flesh. The promise is fulfilled. He's now exalted on the throne. and So that gives us even more reason to believe the promises that are yet to come. That He's made. That He'll be faithful. If we have Christ, then we have the one thing needful. If God is with us, we have the one thing needed who shall separate us then from the love of god which is found in christ jesus our lord nothing isaiah believed the promises do you is emmanuel your savior your strength from your sins have you been born Of the Spirit. Do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins? If not, then come to Him and believe upon Him and be saved. Because without Him there's no hope. You will be judged. Just like King Ahaz and Judah. Without Him, without Emmanuel, everything is doom and gloom. But with Him there is hope and confidence and strength. Are you teaching your children, parents, about Emmanuel? That God is with us. The confidence and hope that you can have and the child can have in Him alone. That our strength is not in you. That is, our, our strength, the child's strength is not in you, parents. It's not in anyone or anyone else but Jesus Christ. That we must stand upon the promises knowing our God Emmanuel is always eternally faithful to all of His promises. And so that even if all the nations were to come against us today, against the church today, it shall all be for nothing. For God is with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful once again that You... By Your Son, You are always with us, even the Spirit of Christ in our hearts. We pray that You would pour forth Your Spirit out in a mighty way that more would turn unto You in faith and trust Christ's sacrifice on the cross for their punishment that they deserve, that we all deserved because of our sin. That He has bore the wrath of God against our sins and our guilt and has redeemed us and bought us out of slavery and set us free. Pray that you grant faith to each one here and you cause all of us to trust in a greater trust and confidence and strength that we would look for it in Christ alone in Emmanuel and have it because we know with full certainty that God is with us. And all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.